0: It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now, your host, Bert Martinez. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Today on the show, Neve O'Keefe. Neve O'Keefe is author of Future Shaper, leadership advisor, and founder of the First One Hundred is driven by purposeful, purposeful, purpose, purposeful, man, I'm running out, mission to improve the quality of leadership in the world with more than 25 years of career experience in the leadership advisory service, O'Keefe clients list spans multiple industries and global corporations, including Microsoft, Accenture, Oliver Wayman Group. Uh, and I'm excited to have her on the show. We've, we started talking before the show, anyway, I think you're going to have a lot of fun. Neve O'Keefe, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Bert. Delighted to be here.
0: All right, so let's talk about your book real quick. Um, uh, what was happening What was yeah, the, what was happening? What was the catalyst to have you write this book? Because obviously, there's a lot of book on leadership, so give us your your, your idea. Why yeah. you write the book?
1: Yeah, I totally get it. It's almost like the world does not need another book on leadership. So why, why would I write it? The thing is, I suppose I work as a trusted advisor um, to C-suite, to senior leaders in C-suite. And what I was noticing was that leaders were getting quite disconnected from their real role. It's almost like they were behaving like professional managers rather than actual leaders, and at the same time, there was a sense of fear creeping in at the top. You know, there would be sort of hushed tones about, well, I mean, we'd never admit this, but of course we don't really know what we're doing, you know, and there's a sense of, have they sort of got disconnected with the real role of leader and also that being exacerbated with a sense of fear. So I wrote this book, um, it came out in March, 2020. So it came out before the global pandemic. But of course, uncertainty and the pattern of uncertainty had started, you know, well before that in terms of disruption. Um, And I suppose the pandemic was like a mega disruption event. But that sort of pattern that I'd already s- spotted, which is that uncertainty is the new certainty, I felt it was worth tackling. So that was really it. And also I found it very cathartic for me personally to write the book because... um it's like my sort of manifest, my, my manifesto on what leaders should be doing. And I felt like there was a process skill that needed to be talked about as well as leadership traits that needed to, needed to be cultivated. So some basics, some fundamentals, and then also some avant-garde new things for leaders to think about.
0: Yeah. And, and so I'm glad that you brought up this idea of some uh, leaders we're not acting like leaders, but acting more like managers. Give us your your definition. What is yeah. a leader?
1: Yeah, I think basically it's if the leader has not set out a clear vision or has not been part of crafting a very clear vision, then they're not actually a real leader. So if they are just handed a set of instructions, you know, handed targets, and they're going about fulfilling them, then that is what I call a sort of a professional Uber manager. So really it's about a leader is somebody who is very clear about what they want to achieve and why, and that's like very compelling for them. And anybody else is somebody who's basically taking instructions. Now, most of my clients, until I provoke them into thinking otherwise, are really just instruction takers. You know, and, I, and, and my, I suppose my philosophy on leadership is, we're just a bunch of humans in the world. There's a few people in charge of the, of the rest of us. We call them leaders. If they were doing a better job, we'd all be in a better place. So I give my clients a really hard time about what it actually means when they take up this position of, you know, so-called leadership. Like one thing which I've noticed is, it's a bit like the word parent. Just because you have a child, you become a parent, but it doesn't calibrate how good you are in that role. And it's the same with leader. You know, all these organizations, there's all this talk about, like, the leaders, and it's within their role titles. But is anybody actually leading? And I suppose I come from a very challenging perspective on that, especially with my clients.
0: Yeah, um... (laughs) yeah. Nothing, no, nothing more fun than hiring somebody who's going to give you a hard time <laughs> about the way you're leading your company. So that's funny. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. So, look, you know, you mentioned the pandemic, and we've seen, um, I'll say different leadership styles across the globe when it comes to mm-hmm. the pandemic. Give us your thoughts on on the pandemic. Uh, what were some of the common mistakes that you saw most leaders make when handling? Uh, a crisis like the COVID 19?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing was the speed of reaction was a problem. So there was like a, a denial of the crisis. So countries were slow and businesses were slow to accept this. I mean, we had that even here in the UK, where even after the World Health Organization had declared it a global pandemic, we were still of the view oh, it's just a flu, we'll be fine. And it took us two weeks to lock down. And I think, you know, you'll see variations on the spectrum of that in relation to how the initial response. So I think speed of response is a very important um, judgment, I suppose, for leaders to make. And then in terms of when the crisis is pretty evident, okay, yes, we are actually in a crisis. I suppose, you know, we still don't have clear hindsight on what was, you know, what, what was a good strategy or not, but the fact that every you know that the answer seemed to be dramatic, full and total lockdown. I wonder if over time we will reflect on that and question whether that was the right answer, because it was so complete. And of course, there were some commentators who said it's the easiest thing to do, you know, send all your workers home, everybody get inside. But nobody in the doing of that thought about how are we going to exit this successfully, like how are we going to come back out of it and I suppose that's what organizations and and countries are grappling with now, and not that I have any of the answers of course i mean this is we're writing you know we're in the midst of this i suppose this case, but we can you know we can make comments on it and think about it um so that's sort of my first my first thoughts.
0: Well, and I think, like you said, you know, this is, this was so different.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, it's not like, it's not like any, you know, it's not like you could turn to somebody who was a pandemic expert in business, you know, in, yeah. in, in business and say, Hey, you know, what's the, what's the uh, protocol for this? What do we do first? What do we do second? It was, all, it's still to this point, to-, to this point, it's all in my opinion, a hundred percent guesswork. And yeah. And, you know, I think people are are like grasping at straws trying to figure out what's going to work. And yeah. of course there's the balance between safety and profit because yeah. you have businesses that are closed down which mean which means people, you know, or, or a bunch of people aren't going to work, right? We've had millions of people uh laid off uh and they're left wondering, well how am I going to make You know, how am I going to make my ends meet if I don't have an income? And, you know, different governments have handled that differently. Uh, So it it is a one of those things where, uh, to me, this is an interesting test of a leader because, you know, we've seen some leaders who have panicked. Some leaders, as you mentioned, were in total denial, um, you know, and it's just been, you know, from one extreme to the other. So. Interestingly enough, just 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 a uh, an interesting way to test your leadership skills. Right. Because this is.
1: Yeah. Stuff. I mean, I think the one big takeaway like people are like, oh, what are the leadership lessons to learn? But for me, there's one big leadership lesson to learn, which is that no one was ready. And I do think shame on us that no one was ready because although it might appear to be a wild card but it's not like no one has ever imagined it i mean there's movies about this type of thing i mean bill gates warned about this you know it's i do feel like maybe back to the theme of denial a little bit like it just because it was a worst case scenario doesn't mean that we shouldn't have been ready for it and i think we can take that lesson forward you know no one wants it to happen again. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen again. I think, you know, maybe in the future, you know, not to be too dismal, but maybe there's going to be a worse version. And I think maybe this is a, you know, it's possible this is a warning shot to get ready for the future and therefore not have something so terrible. You know, know, if we're more anticipatory about it, maybe it won't be so awful the next time. So I, I feel like, you know, if, in the last 10 years we've had disruption and we could call the pandemic a mega disruption event. I wonder if we're going into now possibly 3 decades of you know continued disruption punctuated by mega disruption events and now what are we going to do about that? So I think you know there are moments when we need to think about okay how do we get better? How do we get more leadership ready? so not just constantly reacting so that we can't say to the next crisis oh yeah well how would we have known we didn't know or you know so i think part now of the leadership skill set has to be about realizing that uncertainty is the new certainty therefore build into your leadership skill set this kind of um leadership ready skills and attitudes
0: yeah absolutely you know, what's interesting about human nature is that we are quick to forget.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, and I say yeah. that because I remember uh, here in the U.S. And by, by the way, for, for everybody tuning in, um, Neve is, is uh, coming in from London. But here in the U.S., uh, five years, I believe it was five or six years before the trade towers were attacked, the, mm-hmm. the World Trade Center was attacked. It, it had previously been been attacked, right? They had, they had brought in a vehicle parked it underground. A bomb had gone off and it shook the building. And it just so happens that my brother-in-law worked there and was, was at the very top having lunch. Oh, wow. Um, and, and he says he remembers it very clearly that like everybody heard it. They felt, a, you know, a, a, a little bit of a shake. yeah. And, and it's like out of a movie where everybody stopped for like three or four seconds and then went back to eating. And we didn't learn our lesson. We weren't, we assumed that, hey, you know, these towers are so big and so strong and these um, terrorists are small and weak and, you know, they're never gonna be able to effectively take down the towers. And so uh, we were ill-prepared simply because we weren't taking the impossible, those black swans into consideration.
1: Yeah,
0: and, and, and I think, back to what you said, I think leadership moving forward is going to have to look at the impossible uh, because the reality is if you look at the history, uh, at mm-hmm. world history, the impossible happens rather frequently. I mean, yeah. as you mentioned, this isn't the first pandemic yeah. that the world has lived through. And we had the World Health Organization, Bill Gates Foundation, or the Gates Foundation, telling us that this was a possibility. And of course, nobody wanted to even contemplate hmm. that a pandemic could really happen. And hey, we're you know we're 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 so modern. Uh, we have some great healthcare and and all this other stuff. That if something like that was to happen, is no big deal. It's not going to affect me. And blah blah blah. And I think it's that short-sightedness that has to change.
1: That's right. And um, at Davos in 2021, so upcoming, the theme of Davos will be the Great Reset. So I think that's going to be interesting in terms of taking the opportunity. I mean, a, a criticism of Davos, of course, is that it's just a talking shop. But that said, it will be interesting to see what the great and the good are going to say about What they're calling the great reset which is a reflection on what's happened and what this means and what might come out of that in terms of some you know clear-sightedness in relation to the decades ahead i mean i think it's interesting like it's at the beginning of a decade and i think you know people like to think well it'll all be over in a year but i mean i think at the at the very least we're going to see a decade of in and out of lockdown, flare-ups, and how to get ready for that, but also maybe even expand your horizon a bit longer and say, okay, let's look at 2020 to 2050, what might the world look like? And I mean, it's not you know doom and gloom, and obviously leaders have to, if nothing else, they have to stay optimistic about the future. And one of the things I think that has come out quite clearly is that, you know, what maybe would have taken four or more years to happen has actually just been accelerated in four or so months and that is the shift to a more virtual world and I mean I think if we were to try to be futurists about it I mean that's the way the world was going and that's the way the world is definitely heading now and 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 what's the so what about that and I think you know organizations sent their employees into you know back to their houses you know but they ha- what, what was evident is that there was a massive gap in terms of any strategy in relation to how to keep those employees engaged. And yet yeah. there had been remote working for years. And it, it just shines a light on the fact that those remote workers must have been very self-managing in terms of their motivation, their engagement. And so employers now have to think about, okay, what if everything we do, we have to do online And what if our employees forever have to communicate online, what that might mean, how do we keep, you know, how do we engage with them? How do we keep people motivated and so on and so forth? And, you know, that's just one example. Another example is how employers seem to have moved now into being healthcare providers, whether that's, you know, um, mental health, well, that's a big topic, or whether that's, you know, literally taking temperatures of people as they come into office buildings or office hubs. So, I mean, there's a lot for organizations to think about you know in relation to you know this is not just you know, and obviously, I don't think anybody believes anymore that this is just a blip, and we'll all go back to the way it was. I mean, for sure, that's not gonna happen,
0: yeah, well, you know what's interesting too, I think one of the uh one of the other side benefits of this pandemic, as you mentioned, we have become more virtual, uh which I think is great, it gives us more flexibility, yeah. Uh, but I think also before the pandemic, if you had the sniffles, mm-hmm. uh nose, you were coughing, you were still expected coming to the office. Right. Yeah. And, and, and of course, if you were a leader or a manager, you know, and you even had a fever, mm-hmm. it was commonplace for somebody to come to the office, you know, and kind of power through it. You know, I, you know, I'm the leader. Look at me. Uh, even though I'm sick and I should be home, I'm going to come to the office and infect everybody because I'm going to power through it. And I think that the pandemic has is, is kind of put a complete uh, no-go on that. So if you have the sniffles, the cough, especially if you have a, a fever, stay home, not come near people. And and that's really probably the way it should have been all along. Yeah. So, so I think that's going to be one of the side benefits of all this. But I want to mm-hmm. ask you this question. Um and, and, you know as a um when it comes to um leaders um and, and interacting with employees since you mentioned employees and, and the I guess maybe uh not necessarily a new role but a bigger role that, that leaders are gonna take, what is your take? How can leaders demand results while also supporting and empathizing with employees?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I think when if I I think there has to be a recalibration of what you can expect during a crisis. And I think we're still going through it or maybe we're just sort of in the aftershock of the main crisis. And I think in during the crisis and during, we'll say, the aftershock, I think it's unrealistic to expect people to give you 100 percent because it's not like a 100 percent normal situation. Um, and then coming out of it, I mean, I think, you know, essentially the world has had a near death experience. You could, you know, put it like that. And so everybody has had an opportunity to reflect on, you know, how am I spending my time? You know, where do I, you know, like a return to family values or home as refuge or connectedness with the community? And so, Coming out of this, I think leaders need to think about, you know, um, how do I engage my employees so that they feel like this is a meaningful use of their time to be at work? I mean, that's coupled with the the zeitgeist anyway of the millennial generation who kind of had this more of a, like a slightly more spiritual take on why am I in work? Am I making a difference? You know, what's, what's it all about? And so I think this sort of macho command and control doubling your targets, let's like do this, you know, that kind of style of engagement is not gonna cut it anymore. I think you're gonna have to, leaders are gonna have to be more connected with what they stand for, what values they really represent, not just like, you know, a laundry list of things they should say. And then, you know, communicate that with employees so that employees feel like they're engaged on a meaningful mission and this is a good use of their time on earth, so to speak. I mean, that's a big ask, but I mean, there was ripples, like there was employees have been asking for this for a long time. And I think, you know, leaders need to, need to fully catch up with that now.
0: Sure. Well, you know, what I find interesting is when you look at small company and, uh, there in in London as it is here in in uh, in Phoenix eighty um, percent I guess you know I want to say here in America and, and probably there in, in England is eighty percent of of employees are working for small companies mm-hmm. you know they're, they're, and, and what's different about a small company and when I say small company it might be one or two employees it might be I don't know 20 30 even fifty employees I mean I, I think I've I'm trying to think, I think even, you know, something like around 200 employees, something like that. Uh, When you're looking at a company that of that, of these sizes, these small companies, one of the benefits to working for these small companies is that there is a little bit more empathizing. uh, The point being is that um, it's very, very common. When I used to do mergers and acquisitions, it was very, very common to come across a small company that had loaned money to various employees for various different emergencies. You know, right. getting car fixed uh, might have been a, a healthcare-related emergency. It might have been, you know, I don't know, something at home. But it was it was very common. And this is one of the reasons that people would stick around these small companies is because they felt appreciated. Kind of what you're talking about. Am I spending mm-hmm. my time wisely here at this company? As opposed to when you move up to these big companies that have thousands of employees, you know, you're not going to get a loan. You're probably not going to get a pay advance. Um, you know, HR is on a different floor, far removed from you. And and there's no direct connection between you, uh, let's say the manager, uh, and maybe uh, the uh, supervisor or the leader in that company. It's so far removed that, you know, all of that, Becomes more clinical, less touchy feely, and is back to what you're saying. I think that most uh, employees prefer the touchy feely to an extent, right? They want that engagement. They want that that um, you know the ability to connect with their leaders and say, "Listen, this is what's happening in my world. I'm a, I'm a single parent. I got three or four kids. I have one child that's a special needs." You can yeah. do that in a small company. It's very difficult to do that in a big company.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's true. And I think sometimes even the employee, because, you know, in big companies, you know, um, the A to Z of what they're doing, you know, they might be component F to G or something, and and they just don't, you know, it's quite hard to connect themselves into the bigger picture. So, um, I mean, I, I think really, though, I think, like, in terms of what leaders should be doing, Number one is they should know what they're trying to achieve. And that, that sounds so basic, you know, and it's come under the topic of vision, but which it sounds like a very grand word, but I, I call it like preferable outcome in the book, which is just basically what is it that you are trying to achieve and by when? And, you know, as if, if you have a team of people and I ask each member of the team, what do you think you guys are trying to achieve and by when? Honestly, in a lot of big companies, you get as many different answers as you will number of people on the team. So this sort of disconnect between what am I doing and why, you know, the leader really has to be very clear themselves on what they're trying to achieve and why and then communicate it. Some of the stuff is so basic that it's almost crazy that I can make a living out of saying things like that. You know,
0: (laughs) (laughs) so true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, I tell you what's interesting is. I've had the pleasure of interviewing, I want to say, about 10 or 12 um, individuals that had high-profile positions at Apple mm-hmm. when Steve Jobs was running Apple. Yep. And without, I want to say, without any kind of hesitation, the two most common remarks when you ask how was it working with Steve Jobs? Number one is that he had a very clear vision. This is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. And then the, and then the other two was is that he was a pur- pretty ruthless guy to work for. And he would fire you. Uh, and a lot of people don't know this. They would only, you know, but he would fire some of his top people, um, you know, very, very frequently. I mean, he fired one of the ladies I interviewed was fired like a total of twenty five times, and this was his way of waking people up mm-hmm. and fire you for two or three days. And, and of course, you know when somebody gets fired, you go through all these emotions, right? It's it's well, you know, it's like one uh, of those common uh, oh uh, denial, you know, yeah, yeah, anger, <laughs> bargaining, and all those all those uh, emotions. But he would let you back in. And you would want to work harder for him to show him that you know that that he was wrong and stuff like that. And and so sometimes you can have a leadership a leadership style like a Steve Jobs who's pretty ruthless. And towards the end of his life, I think he was he was a little um, uh, what's the word regretful how he treated people around him. Um, and, and he realized later on that you know you do have to love people and and, and that people are important but you know when you're young and dumb and and mm-hmm. the world is your oyster sometimes you, you know you have this uh what do you call it the blinders on but you know bottom line is he was ruthless but people knew what he wanted and they knew what he what to expect from him and he also was very clear as what he expected from you and back to what you're saying that isn't You know, that's a very basic thing, but very few of us are brilliant at the basics. Yeah. I mean, you know. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And what you bring in there is this concept of legacy, you know, and I actually challenge my clients. You know, originally I worked with clients in the first 100 days of a new senior leadership role. And I noticed that during the first 100 days of a new role, people were very open to the idea of having a legacy what's my vision how do we start because it was a beginning type phase and feeling and there was a lot of energy around it but you know as as sort of as they got into their role they sort of started to think about quarterly targets and they sort of lost their joie de vivre around you know what's my leadership legacy but that's always where I start with a client is you know not just like what are you trying to achieve in this role by the end of this role but what are you trying to achieve as a leader like and I talk about um, within this book actually sort of the four Ps just as a framework, that's my consulting background but you know around is it a personal legacy, is it a performance legacy, is it something to do with a people legacy or a planet legacy or some combination and it's just really to take the leader out of themselves for a minute and realize, and you know get them to think bigger picture and uh, like Steve Jobs I mean you know maybe we could take something from that which is that a brilliant mind, um, but maybe he wasn't too happy at the end of his life in terms of his his leadership legacy with his people.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely correct. Uh, and, and I think you're right. I mean, look, uh, I think that there's a lot of good people that go into government, yeah uh, public service and, and they have and they have this great vision. this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to clean it up, but they get in there and they quickly get mired. In you know, the, you know, for lack of better terms, the, the mud of politics yeah. and how difficult things are to, to make happen. And, and to your point, you know, you have a leader in a company um, that has this great vision, but all of a sudden he gets, uh, you know, he gets stuck in because he's got to an answer to maybe stakeholders and shareholders and, you know, and, and different things that are pulling on him. You know, how profitable is your division? Um, you know and all these other things Yeah. So, you know it, it, it's it's a tough call and I think this is one of the, the great reasons to have somebody like you this this mm-hmm. outside third person who can help people focus back in
1: to yeah.
0: what is that you wanted to achieve when you took this position or in your case when you do the first 100 days what is it that you want to do and help them remember that because man I think we all forget Um, and people sometimes, um, you know, will tell you, well, if it's important, we're not going to forget. And that's, that's not true because we're human and we've heard Mm -hmm. forgotten birthdays anniversaries. I I had a a client of mine who, um, for completely forgot an airline trip that they were going to take. Yeah. We get so busy that even important things can sometimes fall by the side you know
1: unintentionally totally i actually when i set up my business first i went to the airport and i hadn't booked a ticket i mean it was so weird i was actually trying to you know go through security and i was like oh i never actually got a ticket it was kind of funny but one thing i have noticed with leaders back to sort of some of the basics and some of my clients who won't thank me for saying this but that they have what they say is they have you know too many priorities and i and i say, well you know, you don't have any priorities if you have too many priorities, you know, so another sort of key thing, which is just step back and be very clear on what you want to achieve so that like, you're very clear on what your priorities actually are. You know, I find again, leaders, you know, for all the reasons you said as well, they just get too busy in the detail. And then they sort of have, you know, too many things to do. And then they start sort of, you know, managing the doing or even doing the doing. And then You know, I mean, really, yes, my job often is, I mean, obviously, I have to come out with some good insights and some creative ideas. But sometimes it's just like poking a stick at people and just reminding them, you know, to step back and understand the bigger picture.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, You know, especially when. Again, depending on the size of company that you're trying to run or let's say the project or whatever, uh, unless you happen to, you know, um, I don't know, it, it, it might help. I want to say it like this. If you were a single individual, you had no children, no spouse, that's going to help uh, keep the plate a sort of, or, yeah, keep the plate sort of clean and yeah. organized. But listen, if you if you have family obligations or priorities um, yeah. on top of that, you have business. And on top of that, Uh, You maybe maybe it's, it's, you you also have some charities or maybe you're, you know, whatever. So I think, I think it's a very valid, valid thing that you need, you need a third person sometimes to, as you said, poke you with the stick and say, Hey, (laughs) remember this? Um, Anyway, uh, Neve, we're out of time. I want to, I want to promote, I don't know if this is the right one, but if they want to reach you, uh, CEOassist.com.
1: Great. Thank you.
0: Yeah. CEOassist.com. And then the book, i put it up here, is Future Shaper, uh, How Leaders Can Take Charge in an Uncertain World. And I will put a link here in the show notes, and you guys can can check out the book. Uh, Nevo, Keith, thank you so much for stopping by today.
1: Thanks very much, Bert. I really appreciate it.
0: You bet. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.